Hello there, my friends, and welcome back to Thanks Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and today on the podcast, we have another preschool speech and language pathologist, Lindsay Natake, to share all she knows about teletherapy, parent coaching, and adding more culturally diverse materials and books into your speech and language toolkit. I hope you enjoy, and let's talk to Lindsay. All right, we are here with Lindsay, and uh, we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to have you tell us a little bit about your background um, and how you work as a speech-language pathologist. I know we have a lot in common, but go for it. Yeah, so I'm really excited to be here, so thank you so much for having me. I work in a preschool in Southern California, um, predominantly with mod to severe kiddos, but we do have a full continuum, and we do have our inclusion model. So I do work with um, mild mod and then also um, I'm typically developing kiddos who have like just some speech or language delay. Um, I also work, um, I run a language program for our preschoolers that primarily have language delay. And these kiddos really come from a variety of cultures, bilingual homes, um, and a lot of a mix of a few different cultures. Um, I think that's typical of Southern California to have a lot of blended um, kiddos and families, which is awesome. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing and where my passion lies. Oh, I love that. And I just love that we both work with the same age population. It's so fun to have another preschool speech pathologist because it's like, yes, I don't know. There's, I mean, I think there's something special about all speech language pathologists, but when I get to talk with other preschool speech pathologists, I'm like, it's like we come from this Disneyland world of <laughs> animation and enthusiasm. It's just so fun. So, um, yeah, I love it. Um, and I like what you said about kind of highlighting that cultural diversity in um, in Southern California because it is it is definitely you know we um, we see a a lot of different cultures. I think in the last, like, for instance, couple of years, I've had to really um, learn a lot more about Chinese cultures and Mandarin and working with interpreters and families um, because I've seen a huge um, jump, I guess, in my caseload with children of that cultural background. And so it's been really important for me to learn a lot um, and, and not just take the strict, you know, cultural background things that I learned in grad school, because really that was a, that was a glimpse. Um, it wasn't in depth enough. And so I'm excited to kind of talk with you more about that as we go on um, our conversation here. But uh, yeah, so I want to make sure I, I highlight that because it is, it's very important. I think any, anywhere you go, it's important. But I think in, in SoCal, we've seen, we see a lot of different things and it's really awesome. It really teaches us a lot. Um, Totally. So it, you also have a really huge passion and I love on your Instagram and you have a great YouTube channel full of um, topics for parents and working with parents and getting, um, and, and anybody who listens to my podcast knows how passionate I am about parent education. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of want to know more about that side of things and, and where that comes from and what you do when you work with parents. Yeah. So, I mean, we know as speech paths that, you know, research shows in order to really get that maintenance, we have to get the parents on board and the consistency with strategies and follow through across settings. So in the school and then also in the home. 
Um, and then also my heart just goes out to all of these parents, you know, who have either child with special needs or just like parents in general too. There's so much, um, there's so much information coming at them at, from all sides and parent shaming is like huge out there right now, especially with like social media, like do this, don't do that. Like you're a bad parent, you know? And I think, you know, I think a lot of parents can really benefit from just support of like professionals coming at them from like an empathetic view and just like let validating that they're doing fine. Like it's not going to go perfect every single time. In fact, most of the time it's not going to go how you think. Um, but it's okay. Cause we'll work through it. Like that's what we're here for, you know, and we're a team. Um, and so I also coached high school basketball, you know, for, for seven years. So on the flip side, um, and I really practiced my coaching ability in that setting. So taking a skill and breaking it down, teaching someone else, and then scaling back to where they might only need a few cues in a game to do it. So I'm kind of, that's kind of like the mentality that I take when I'm um, coaching parents as well. Um, there's like, I 100% trust and communication through myself and parents and then hands-on learning that, which was great with through this COVID and quarantine, because I literally tell parents like, Hey, you're my hands now. Like I need you. Okay. Put this in front of him. Wait, hold that, you know, like ask him this, you know, and I'm, then I'm kind of puppeting them through it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I kind of combine, combine both of those, um, both of those techniques with the knowledge, my speech and language knowledge, and then the coaching, my coaching skills. Yeah. No, I love, I love so much about what you said. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you see me over here taking notes. Cause I'm like, okay, I want to make sure I go back to that. <laughs> it's my brain. It's just, I'll, I'll forget. But, um, no, I think that coaching model is so, it, it's so awesome that you have a background already because you kind of have seen how it works. Um, for other individuals and how you do need to maybe start start strong, you know, be, be uh, right beside a parent and then scale it back and give them that uh, confidence that they yes. can do what we do. Um, yes. You know, and I think, you know, when you talk about tying that in with the things they're going to, they might see on social media, you know, uh, even sometimes I think for me, like I'll be posting videos and I, me I mean well, but I might be giving so much information that a parent might be sitting there like, wait, I'm not doing any of that. Oh my gosh. Right. And I want to make sure that they know, you know, what you're already doing is enough and yeah. you just got to keep, um, keep doing what you're doing and I'm here to help you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. That way they feel that you know, confidence, just like we want our students to feel. We want them to learn that they can do things independently eventually. And that uh, really, I, because when a parent can work with their child and they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm helping, um, mm -hmm. I'm helping them make, meet their goals. I'm helping them grow. Um, mm -hmm. They're going to, they're going to realize that, you know, they did the right thing in the first place just by bringing them into speech therapy yeah. and asking for an assessment. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's such a good such a good reminder for them that what they're yeah. doing is enough and we're here to help. Um, exactly. exactly. Giving them that confidence and then watching that connection because ultimately, you know, they are the, they're the key to success for us. We can only do so much, but like 
Like a lot of times I'm just like a strange lady with like a magical bag with like a lot of toys in it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'll never replace mom. I'll never replace dad. Yes. And that's not our job. We're not trying to replace anybody. So what the child really wants and what everybody wants is to have that like closeness with the family. And we're just like guiding them to help them reach that closeness. I yeah. feel like, you know, our jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of my goals is to, um, cause I work in a public school district. And so one of my goals is to get better with that parent coaching in that situation, because if you're, you know, home health, it's probably going to be a little bit easier because you're there, you're in their environment. Um, or even if they're coming into your private clinic, getting them to come into the session is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely, I definitely have a goal of like being, being able to bring a parent into their child session and coach them, especially if you think about going on summer break. Um, but even like with COVID and getting shut down, it would have been nice to have a system in place where they were coming in and they knew. So that way there's less tension. There's less fear of right. the unknown. I guess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially at preschool, like you said, um, in your interview, how like we're like the first step for parents and that fear mm -hmm. Known. It's like, it's, it's huge with them. You can feel it when they walk in. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, I didn't realize, you know, when I first was in grad school thinking about, like, I remember being on my diagnostic team and I was just so um, naive to the whole process, obviously, and had no idea how much, um, like how scary it is to bring your child in for a speech and language assessment. I was like, it's speech and language, you know, like, so yeah, we're going to help kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> my little grad school brain. Um, and now getting to really have conversations and do these parent interviews where I'm just trying to build rapport. I realize, you know, it's, it's a big step for them and it's, you know, they need to be validated just for that much. Um, because it's, it's awesome that they, they want their kiddos to do well. I think every parent does. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, that's another thing with our assessments. Um, you know, sometimes we have to ask questions. We have to ask the parents a lot of questions because, you know, they're so young when the kids come in that a lot of our assessment is parent report. Um, and there's some questions that make parents feel so bad, but we have to ask them things like, does your child know if he's a boy or a girl or just like something like that, where it's like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter right now. Right. You know what I mean, like, right. that's not a big deal. Um, but the parents are like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that answer. And that you could just see them like, should I know that? Like, am I a bad mm -hmm. parent? So I always follow up with like, you know what? Like, you're fine. It doesn't matter if they don't know. And if you don't know these questions, if they don't know the answers to these questions, I just have to ask these questions because that's how these tests are designed. But like, let me just diffuse this whole situation right. now and let right. you know you're fine. <laughs> you know? I know. What is that? I think it's the Rosetti that kills me with some of those questions because um, I remember doing the body parts. Like, can your child name three body parts? And, or even like receptively understand them or identify them. And I remember sitting with a parent who was like, um, 
I, I don't know, you know, and was so, I just, even like talking about it, I just, my heart is breaking because <laughs> I remember watching the parents' heart break a little bit. Like, why don't I know this? Right. And it was totally, you're just like, you know what, let's stop. And, and so I always try to like, I do my little modifications of the test questions where I'm like, just give me an example. Like, don't even, I'm not even going to ask you the question verbatim. Give me an example of when they touch their toes or, yes. you know, cause, um, sometimes that's all the parent needs is like, oh, they do it when, you know, I tell them, put your shoes on. Um, I don't know. So yeah, that's a, that's a good tip. I'm going to start doing that too. (laughs) I mean, and it doesn't always, I don't always remember it, but I think it's good to keep in mind like these test questions that sometimes we feel like we have to ask because again, we were trained to like get the normative sample or like look at the normative sample and do all these like, uh, evidence, uh, based and, I don't know what I can't even think of the term right now because I'm so like sometimes just being informal, being casual and getting those examples will help you get those answers. You just you don't have to sit there with your pen and paper in your face. Right, right, right. Like, you know, or like be a therapist to the person, you know, and we're here to to work with a child and assess a child. But in order to have true progress and maintenance, we need to get the parents and a lot of times the parents need counseling too. Um, I know this with the quarantine and um, with um, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, my parents, a lot of my parents are just heavy, like, yes. you know, and sometimes um, I just spent the time just coaching them. Like, let's just, let's just talk, you know, like, is your family okay? Like how, yep. you know, and, and going through how to have those conversations with some of them had older kids because obviously at preschool they weren't you know too worried about having yeah them, but yeah the siblings and I'm like we could talk about that too you know right because whatever is going on with the older siblings is gonna affect our littles and it's it's so and I talk about this you know Rachel from Speech with Rach but she and I could go for hours about the importance of setting up a a um like emotionally and mentally a zone where you can, your our littles are flourishing. And yeah. so making sure that, that things are, the parents are feeling good um, yeah. or at least that they feel like they can come to us and they're validated for whatever they're going, that's going on. It doesn't have to be speech and language related. You're so right. right. And I love that you are, you know, working with them on things that they might be working on with older brother and sister, <laughs> because really like, that's going to, that's going to trickle down into the environment that your student is in. Um, and I think that's so important that, that the tension that the parents are feeling um, can be alleviated. So that way they're not stressing out their little ones. Totally. Yeah. And they're just not sure, like, you know, like they just need a little bit of guidance, but for the most part, parents' instincts are right. And they just yes. need someone to validate it. Like you said, like, yeah, you're doing great. Like, go ahead, you know, and then working with parents, um, I learned so much because like, you know, like we were talking about in SoCal, we have a lot of mixed families, a lot of blended families, blended cultures. And so I learn from different perspectives and different families, you know, what they're feeling. Um, And it's really helpful for me to kind of, you know, take that in and then trying to like coach the next family and just be being mindful of everything that I'm learning. Do you have them like come into your setting and and work on that coaching? Do you do it mostly during assessment? Yeah. Um, So 
mainly like during assessments, I'll well, for sure. And at the IEP, I'll definitely mm-hmm. be able to coach them. Um, and then sometimes if the parents are able to come to our sessions, um, they just clear it with our principal and then okay. they're able to observe. Okay. Um, and usually I do, I do recommend it, but you know, parents work. So it's really yeah. hard for them to come from like eight 30 to 1130 and then whatever the preschool, you know, but, um, um, but we do also do have with our district, we have parent, um, we have parent training nights. So yeah, it's so like, like once a month we were, the parents were able to come in and we kind of are able to, to, um, go further into detail about that. And it's about an hour long session. Um, and then our OTs and PTs also have one. And then our behavior analysts also have one. So we really try to support our parents that way. I love it. Yeah, Can you tell I'm going to be taking some notes and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Sharing yeah. this? <laughs> it's it's not a, a written IEP service. So right. um yeah, so we're able to kind of be fluid with it. Um, but we try to schedule it at a time that parents can can come. Um yeah, and that's it's just a great way to, you know, dive deeper into specific questions that parents have. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. In the school district, it's hard because our the times that we're operating is the times that parents are working. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah, no. I, and that's, that's something a couple years ago, a bunch of uh, speech therapists, preschool speech therapists, all the pre- preschool speech therapists, I should say, <laughs> we all got to go get Hannon certified. Um, and our district, I mean, I can't thank them enough for sending us all to do that. It was a whole weekend of learning and stuff. And we all came back ready to do all these parent trainings. Well, there's a whole, like you have to set up all the, you know, through a district, you definitely have to think about, well, can we do this during school hours? You know, we're paid during school hours. We're not, you know, unless we can set up a time card situation, but they, you know, it's just how a district is and it's what the district says. And um, so we're just, we've always kind of kept it in the back of our minds. Like we want to set this up. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and then of course, COVID, <laughs> we could blame COVID for everything because we were starting to talk about doing it for the 2020, 2021 school year. And it's like, well, yeah. we'll hold off on that. But yeah. I love, I'm like totally excited about this and learning this from you. Cause I, I definitely think that that's something that, um, you know, I've, I've been really interested in and really want to set up. So that way parents um, have a chance to kind of see that there's other parents that are going through similar things too. And then, like you said, if they have any specific questions, it's a good time not only to ask us, but maybe ask other parents that maybe know a little bit more about the situation because they've experienced something similar, you know, Um, which kind of leads me into my next question for you about, encouraging um like parent support groups I know I've you know I I always joke with my teachers but they'll be like how did you know Johnny's dad know about this and I'm like because parents talk they see each each other during drop off and pick up you know they get to know each other they realize again there's other parents going through similar things maybe and they're like hey I have a question for you and I think it's really awesome sometimes it it you know, comes back to us and, and there's more work for us to do in the end. <laughs> but I love it. I will say, I love knowing that the parents, um, they mm-hmm. feel that they have like that, that commonality if, if yeah. they're, and sometimes there's parents that maybe are a little bit more timid and don't really want they're They just don't want to be so vulnerable, which I get. So I wonder like what, what would be your, 
kind of your take on that and encouraging like support groups? Yeah. Like I, just like you were saying, I think support groups are great. A lot of times our parents are, um, they're really afraid to bring their kids to the parks or, you know, the mall or whatever it is to, to play with kids because, um, of whatever goals that they're working on, whether it be behaviorally or they can't express themselves speech and language wise or socially. And so, you know, the kids really do miss out on, on those, those play opportunities. So if parents do have a safe little community where they can set up play groups and learn from each other and support each other. I think that's always, um, it's always great. And it's, it's great for the kids to, um, to learn from each other again, and then generalize those skills, you know, into the home life with a peer is always, is always great. Sometimes, like you said, it does kind of, you know, come around and, and, and bite us a little bit, but, um, but I think, oops, sorry. See that was that my, was that mine? No. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's okay. This is life. This is life. (laughs) technology we're still like learning I don't know how to turn these things off I don't either I'm still trying to figure out how to turn my iMessage off for some reason yeah. but I don't yeah it's hey. okay we'll pretend like they don't happen exactly <laughs> um but yeah like um Facebook groups is another um great way to have um some parent supports I do have a Facebook group up um it's called speech therapy for kids where um there are a few SLPs on there and other parents and we kind of just share things, ideas, activities that, um, that kind of worked for us, or if if there's any questions, it's just hard because the only hard thing about parent support groups and like Facebook groups is that every child is so individual, is so unique and so special that it's hard to give really good specific advice without, I'm so sorry, without, um, without like really knowing that that specific child, you know, so that's, that's the only thing. If they're looking for, if parents are looking for specific advice and like where, you know, thing, things to do with their child, it's they're really going to need that professional one-on-one, um, you know, time. But if they just want like support and play and play time, you know, with peers and like wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it's funny that you say that about Facebook because I know I'm a part of like you know preschool SLP Facebook page and the AAC Facebook page. And sometimes I get overwhelmed. Like yeah. sometimes I'll see, you know, amazing speech therapists go on and ask a question and then I'll read through the comments because I want to know the same answer. And there's so many different ways to go about treatment or there's different evidence out there and things like that, that I'll read through it. And I'm like, wait, I don't do any of this. Right. And so it's important for, you know, when I go on the internet and I get sucked into those social media vortexes, um, for me to remember that I have my own perspectives. I have my own way of doing things and it's good to get different ideas and be open-minded. But when I start to feel overwhelmed, I know, okay, but I'm doing my best. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm taking things at my stride. Um, and so I can imagine, you know, and like you said, for parents, they have, different kids every um it's funny one of my favorite professors in grad school my she was the one that taught our autism clinic and so she always told us like at the end of almost every class if we had a question or something she'd say remember if you meet one child with autism or one individual with autism you meet one individual with autism have you heard that yes my teacher said that too you know yeah it's it's so And it's so true for every child. You meet one child, you meet one child. You meet one person, you meet one person. Like, and so, you know, while it may work, something may work for one child, 
It doesn't work for another. That's why sometimes my preschool groups get switched all throughout the year (laughs) because I learned that, you know what, like it's, it's really not working Mm -hmm. with this group because we don't get anything done and that's not good for any students. So we just switch and that's okay. And they learn about flexibility as much as I do, (laughs) but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely like, it's, it's good to have those support groups, but it's also good to remember to do things, you know, don't forget you can do things your way (laughs) and what you're doing is working. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's what I would like about the idea of having those one, once a month parent groups. So that way it is that its own support group in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not too overwhelming because it's not like every other day or something. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, no, very cool. I love it. I love the parent, the parent, uh, aspect and just getting to know different families is so fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the more, I think the more years I spend in the field, the more I get to learn about all these individual families and, and how to just stay open-minded and, um, and know that, you know, all these unique things that every family brings is, is, they're just so beautiful and so special and are there to teach me a whole lot too, not just me helping them. Right. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned earlier that you have a background with bilingual families. Yes. Um, so I'll let, I'll just let you kind of go on. Cause I know we talked a little bit about this earlier and I, I just want to learn from you. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I just, just from experience and running like the little language program that we have at our preschool, it just brings, and then just being in like Southern California, um, it just brings in, you know, we, I have worked with a lot of kiddos from various backgrounds, um, a lot of kids from um, India and that speak different dialects. And so I'm learning things um, in the field. And we know this, like we learn as much as we can from the, from the books and from grad school, but we, we know that we learn the best and the most afterwards when we're actually practicing. So when it comes to, the, to my bilingual families, the main question that I get is, you know, is my child confused? I'm trying, I, I only want to speak English to them. And it just like, it breaks my heart because first of all, you know, I'm half Chinese and half Japanese and I only speak English. So that language was not passed down to me and my siblings. And it's just so sad because that's just like, I'm still exposed to the cultures, but I've lost out on the language and that's like the root of the culture. Right. So I know some words in here and here and there, but it's just not, it's not the same. So I really preach hard to my parents, like language culture is your culture. It's beautiful. Your child is research shows that that children can learn multiple languages at once. I mean, almost every other country other than ours, kids are at least bilingual and sometimes trilingual. And in Iceland, when I went there a few years back, um, they were saying that their kids are um, required to be, or like they're raised trilingual, not required, but it just naturally happens. Um, And then they pick an elective, um, an elective language. So it's English, old Icelandic and I want to say like French or something. Um, and then they get to pick. So they're, they ha- they might l- learn four languages by the time they're an adult. Um, and they preserve their language so strongly that they could still read the Viking manuscripts. 
Someone oh my like, gosh. I have right? no idea. How beautiful is that? I was yes. out so bad. I was like, you can, you know this stuff. And, I, and I'm over here, like I'm just English. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like really trying to preach that with my parents really hard that your, your child is more than capable. Um, whatever speech and language or any other delay that they have is not tied to the number of languages going on in the home. And the parents really, um, their job is to model, right? They need to provide the best model that they can. Now, if the parents speak, you know, are, are true masters of two languages and, and can speak fluently in both, then like by all means, you know, go for it. Do, you know, do code, do your code switching and code mixing also, you know, that's, yeah. that's natural in your home, do that. Um, but if they're trying to force themselves to speak English because they're afraid that their child is confused, you know, I have to be very mindful and very gentle with my words because I'm passionate about it, but they don't, I have to teach them. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, slow, Lindsay, take a breath. Okay. Like we'll get there. Yeah. So, yeah. But that is something that I'm very passionate about. Um, and then my, so my older brother has his first baby and my mom is, is fluent in Chinese. She didn't teach us, but she's fluent. So I'm really pushing her yeah. to Zoe in Chinese, like, like teach her that language because before babies turn two years old, they're able to hear all of those sounds. Like they're babies of the world, no matter what country that baby is placed in, they're going to be able, if they're, if they're like typically developing, you know, and, and able to hear not only all that, then they're going to be able to pick up that language. And so, you know, that's, it's so crucial for parents to preserve that with their kids as much as they can. Yeah. I resonate so much with you, Lindsay, because, so I'm half um, Mexican and um, my dad, I mean, my dad came like is an immigrant. (laughs) He was born in Mexico and has like 12 siblings. They were all born in Mexico. And then um, the family, his family went back and forth a lot throughout his childhood. So he was basically raised like the majority of the time in Mexico, but um, ended up in Orange County um, where my dad ended up meeting my mom later in like high school. But he's fluent in Spanish. My whole, all my cousins, everyone fluent in Spanish. Uh-huh. And me and my, my two siblings are the, like out of all our family, out of all our cousins who were also raised in California mm-hmm. are the only ones that do not speak Spanish. Yeah. So there was, there was so much like, and it's just funny to think back, but I remember being so jealous of my cousins, like, because they could speak to my grandma and grandpa and my, cause my grandma and grandpa didn't speak any English and lived in Mexico. So we'd go to Mexico and visit and like hear me and my, my two siblings, you know, and, and it was so, it, it just, it did, it broke my heart that like, I would, I, especially cause you watch your aunts and uncles teaching their kids and, yeah. and, uh, my my parents didn't and and nothing I mean I love my parents so much but (laughs) nothing against them but I just you know it um it's funny because even like my boyfriend will be like well you're like your dad speaks it how come you don't you know and I'm like it's it's so crazy like you said Mm -hmm. how you're like you you raised like I was raised around it I you know was taught about my Mexican mm-hmm. heritage and our culture. And we traveled to Mexico a couple of times when I was growing up. And um, there's such, there's such a gap though. 
with yeah. what I, with the connection I feel with that culture yeah. because of the language difference, I yes. guess. Um, I can understand a lot of Spanish, That's good. but when you take me, you know, if I were to go and try and speak it, it's, mm-hmm. it really, and I took Spanish in high school, but it was, you know, it was later on in life. Right. Um, I didn't retain as much cause I didn't practice it either, mm-hmm. but yeah, I wish, I do wish it's like, I don't want to wish for anything, but I, I do wish I could speak Spanish fluently and I, it's a goal of mine too, to learn, but yeah, I know I'm on, I'm on Duolingo now. Yeah. <laughs> like, are this, is 30s too late? I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, really it's never too late, but I know I feel you. Cause I'm like, well, <laughs> it's about 30 years of my life. <laughs> Spanish. No. But it, but it is something that, and I'll, and I'll tell parents that story in an IEP when they're like, well, should I only be speaking to them in English? I'm like, no, look at me. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I'm sorry. Like, don't no. do this. <laughs> yeah. Don't make your kids feel this way. Right. The, the guilt. No, I don't try to guilt them, but I definitely just tell them, you know, my dad, um, he's fluent in Spanish and I was never taught. And I really, I mean, especially being in Southern California, being oh, yeah. bilingual, I mean, that would be, that would be amazing. And maybe one day I will be, you know, (laughs) still hope there's still, still (laughs) but I, you know, and it makes me think about when I have kids, I would definitely like to, to start teaching them. Maybe I could learn with them. Right. But yeah, yeah. that's part of like, um, that's part of our, our American culture and, and the system is that we're not as open to other like languages and other cultures as maybe we thought or like we were told when we were younger so yes no and I think you know it's funny because I studied abroad in Italy and um that was like so many years ago now but (laughs) a long time ago (laughs) oh man but one of the things I remember thinking right away was like how come they all speak English too there's so many cultures out there so many other countries that it's just, it's something that's taught different languages um, are, there's nothing wrong with them. Like not, you know, not to say that Americans necessarily think there's something wrong, but there is only one language that's dominant. Whereas Mm -hmm. you go somewhere else and you're like, well, wait a minute. I just Mm -hmm. walked into a a cafe in Italy and I said coffee, you know, and they knew what I meant. Um, Whereas, I may not be as understanding of what someone means here. So it's just, there is that obvious dominance of a language. And like you said, language is so tied into culture and appreciating another culture. Um, And so I definitely, you know, I would love to see, I would love to see more bilingual uh, speech pathologists out here, you know, like, because I think that, that that's already giving parents that, it's okay. Like keep teaching those, those other languages, because that should, that would be so beautiful if we were just walking around, like, you know, I mean, able to understand what other people need and want based on, you know, the first thing they say. Yeah. So so that's my, that's my soapbox for bilingual. You know what? We will make this change together. Right. Here we go. (laughs) That would be, that would be a fun, like little, like, uh, series right like okay how's your duolingo <laughs> right, right. We'll keep each other accountable <laughs> well i'll have to start uh 
learning my Spanish and then we'll keep tabs on each other. It'd be fun. It would be good. It would be a good challenge because like I said, it, you know, it's, it's got to start somewhere. Um, and, and then maybe I think it would be, I love those dual immersion, um, schools that do like Spanish. There, there are few, but I think every school should be that way. Totally. I, you know, but I'm like, like early intervention, you know, like start in the preschool or like whatever, like, like early, as early as we can get to that. Like let's, let's Let's do it. it. Yeah, no, let's start somewhere because it's hard because then, you know, you have the parents, like if I had a a child right now of my own, I'd be like, well, how am I supposed to teach them Spanish when I don't, I'm not fluent. So it's just, it's one of those things where, um, you know, if we could start somewhere, somewhere, then, then that builds that foundation for the generations to come. Totally. 100%. There's, there's a quote that I put on my business card. Um, it says, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I think it was by Arthur Ashe. I can't remember who it's by, but I like, that is like something that I constantly like tell myself, tell my parents, like just you know what? There's going to be so many things. You're going to want to do so many things. You're going to feel pressure to do so many things. And you're just going to start where you are and you're going to use what you have. You're going to do what you can. And then you're going to move on. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to have to have you like send me that quote because I couldn't write it all down. I just wrote business card quote. So (laughs) I'll send it to you. Yeah, Yeah, definitely send it to me. That is so beautiful. And it, it's just a good life quote, right? Like great life quote. But I think that's awesome. That's, that's great to give to a parent because mm-hmm. it's just such a like, you know, take a deep breath. Just remember you're doing what you can and, and we'll keep working. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, no, that's awesome. Um, and this kind of leads right into what I wanted to touch on too, because you did an awesome, awesome video. You just put it out a couple days ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. On, uh, cultural diversity and, and where we can kind of start, especially with our littles. Um, and so maybe you could just talk about what you talked about in your video very briefly, if you want, <laughs> cause I want people to go watch it. Cause they love, I do love the video aspect cause you give some great visuals on like what books we can use and stuff. So I definitely want people to go watch it, but, um, if you yeah. want to tell us about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's so hard because, um, and, and being, from the Asian American community, we don't, you know, we don't talk about these things a lot. So I was really trying to help parents if you wanted to have that conversation or if you maybe weren't ready to have that conversation or your child's not at that level to have that deep conversation, how can you still impact and and help that child, mold that child so that when you guys are ready to have that conversation, it's gonna be easy and natural, right? So the first thing um, is, you know, that whatever is around your child, um, your child has to see their, that reflection of themselves. So like for me and my family, it would be, well, my family is very, very blended, but um, very mixed, but it would be, yeah, like a, a mixed child, right? Or um, an Asian American child, right? Who um, isn't always in China, but like in America, you know? Yes. Um, and um, Crayola and, you know, they're coming out with all of, they have all of those multicultural like, yeah. skin tones now, which is great. Cause I talk about in my video, how I used to draw myself with the yellow crayon. I'm like, gosh, that's so weird. Um, and I tried to like mix the colors, but like crayons don't like mix up well, you know? No. 
like, I'm not really like peach. I don't really know. So just like little things like that will help, um, kind of help your child like talk about, um, will bring them to be able to have that conversation. Um, and then another thing is like, I do have like a couple books that I recommend. Um, there are some books that are like, um, a kid's book about racism that really, you know, it's, it's written in that the positive sentence form. It's a heavy book. It does have that trigger word racism in it, but it really is in a positive light and it yeah. teaches the child, you know, what do they love about themselves? Um, like your book that you put posted last night on your story. Um, I like myself. Oh, I like myself. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. It's so cute. It's so appropriate. It's written in a very positive sentence form, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, and then I also just put some books on there that are, um, that's about food of other countries. Cause I yeah. loved that point in your video, the spaghetti. And then no, I don't, the I forget what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, that's such a good way, especially for little kids, because you can, you do that compare contrast, right? Like, it's just like this that we eat or, or if, um, you know, you have the other dish, it's like, look, and then those, those friends, they might eat spaghetti. And I, yeah, that's awesome. It's just like a nice light connection between cultures and communities. And then you can always tie it in. Like, so like, you know, if kids eat dandan mian here, the Chinese dish, they might not be from China specifically, you know, but they still might identify with that culture. And it's just like opening up, it just opens up that light communication, that light topic. And then it'll kind of bridge into the more, like a more serious, heavier topic that is very necessary. But, you know, I'm just trying to give parents other, other routes to take. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's what I like about the I like myself book, because as I was going through it for the first time, I realized like, you know, it is there are some heavy concepts. Um, You know, she talks about she says something like some people say I'm crazy, silly or weird, um, but I don't care what other people think or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, like that is so um, I don't know. It is heavy. It is. Some people might say things that we don't agree with about ourselves. Right. And, um, but I don't care, you know, kind of learning that, that like, it's so, you know, some people have, they're, they're not as open to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it does touch on that, uh, that argument of, um, you know, needing to be a little bit, maybe more culturally accepting, but for little kids that might experience that, uh, you know, again, using that word racism, it, it's, it's good for them to be able to continue to see the positives. Um, in, and I, I think that it's, it's important to start talking about as early as we can. And like you said, I like doing it in a light way. I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, figuring out how I want to introduce these things to little kids um, and, and how it's, how I'm going to, you know, arrange my lessons. And then one day when I have kids, how I want to do that and what's going to be the best way for little kids to understand. But um I am excited again to, to see the changes that we can start making actually being made. Yeah. It's, it's hard for us um, because, you know, we weren't always raised given, given the words to say. And so we are always second guessing, like we want to convey a message, but we don't want to say the wrong words. So Mm -hmm. I think just starting these conversations and introducing these topics 
at a young age and then it'll open up those conversations and then we can teach them the words to say and teach them in a safe environment like why is this okay to some people why is this not um what else can we say you know yeah just teach them the vocabulary that they need to engage in these conversations that they're you know they're gonna have to engage in yeah exactly um and i i think that like you said, it it is, we don't know the right thing to say. Sometimes we second guess ourselves and, and everything, but I think it's important to remember, just like we would tell our littles, like it's basically, it's going to be okay. You know, we're going to figure this out together. We're going to learn. And for other educators and speech pathologists and service providers, just to remember that, well, we're going to work on this together, but as long as, you know, we're all doing this together, we're all open and we're, um, ready to kind of create these really positive foundations for our littles, then I think, you know, I might be just the optimist over here, but. You know, we have to be though. Like, yeah, there's some, there's, there's some times where, you know, um, there's just some kiddos where it's just, my heart just goes out to them and we have to be that beacon of hope. Like, yeah, there's something good. We're going to find it. It's here. And we're going to, we're going to give it to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's natural for us um, as SLPs in general, but definitely in um, preschool or mod severe, any age mod severe um, that we, it's, it's important for us to keep that trait of, of finding the good around us because it it Mm is. Yeah. Cause things get heavy. They just do. And, you know, and like going back to talking about, um, you know, we were before, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about my program and inclusion and, and, um, the fact that I would never want to see that taken away from my students, that ability to be included. And because it, it does get really heavy when you have to talk about the different, maybe different classrooms, different uh, programs because of a student's, you know, I put in quotes, disability. (laughs) I don't like saying disability. Um, and again, it's that, it's that need to be that beacon of hope. Like there are so many beautiful things that a child can do. Um, there are so many beautiful things that a culture brings to the table and things like that. And it, we need, we need to highlight those things um, because it helps with that. Again, going back to the mindfulness, it helps, you know, when you're in the IEP meeting, I always like to make sure that I highlight what a child can do. And if it sounds like it's really heavy, if we're going around reading, you know, an OT report and then a a physical therapy report, and then we get to the speech report and I'm like, oh no, you know, I always feel like they look at me like, can you please like tell me what my child can do sometimes? Not all the time. Yeah. But like throw me something good. Throw me a bone. Yeah. So I always try to start, you know, with like, so yesterday in the speech room, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, I do always try to like, like jot down, because my memory is also very bad. So mm-hmm. like I jot down like a specific thing mm-hmm. that he did or said that's like, reminds mom, like, I know, you, I know your child, you know, and like, you know, like, yes, I know you've had this moment with him also, and it is translating here too. And I see it, you know? Yeah. Something, something good. Something, yeah, no. And I think it just, it does, because then you start talking about, but I did this assessment and that assessment, you know, and it's like, and yeah, they're, they're not quite, you know, pushing their cause and effect button yet. Um, mm-hmm. But they are laughing, you know, and showing me that they know they're in speech and they're excited to come. And that's enough. I yeah. mean, 
you know, so no, totally. it is, it's so important to highlight those positives. Yeah. So, well, on that note, um, I think that was, you know, it was, we got a little bit heavy there, but I think it's so necessary. And I'm so grateful that you came on and shared so many wonderful things. And just, I love your perspective. Again, I love connecting with another preschool speech pathologist. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm so happy that you had me on here and I'm, yeah. I'm thankful. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Again, you all can find Lindsay over on Instagram and at Help Me Grow Speech. Um, she's got a beautiful YouTube channel. almost said YouTube video, but you have multiple videos. <laughs> um, and then your website, helpmegrowspeech.com, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me there. You can read a little bit more about me. I do. I need to update uh, <laughs> a little more. I'm, I'm getting better at, I was messaging, um, Rachel at speech at speech with rage. Yeah. Uh, she's so good at being vulnerable. You know? I know. I know. And I'm like, I'm going to get there one day. Me so. too. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah. No, we'll you'll get there. I admire her so much for that. And, and I think, you know, it's like she and I, I mean, we've had conversations where, you know, I'll tell her certain things and I'm like, yeah, see, I wish I could just throw that out there sometimes, but it's, it's hard. And, and it's like, I go back to thinking about the families I work with. I'm like, well, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just something we can all work on and, and grow at our own pace with, but yeah, no, but you do have, you do have some really great, uh, information for parents. So I really want them to feel like they could just go and check out your YouTubes. They're amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm like, yeah, I'm like really happy that we did this. I love your page. Love all your little videos. Like you guys. Okay. Marie's video. That's exactly what we look like in speech. <laughs> so if you want like a real snapshot, that's it. <laughs> it's yeah. It's all goofy. You have to be goofy. Um, it was funny last night. It's such, such a tangent now. We'll end soon. I promise guys. Um, but it was, I was getting ready to like put out a question. Like, what do you guys want to see on a video? And my first, like, I was like, do you want to see me being goofy doing this? And then my second thing I thought was like, well, then I'd be goofy doing the other thing too. Oh wait, then I'd be a huge dork doing the third thing. Like <laughs> there's no point in asking if you want to see me be goofy. Cause you're going to see that regardless, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to end the recording. So <laughs> thank you all for listening. Oh, we'll talk to you next time. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Thanks, Morris. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Can't wait to have you back. Maybe uh, an in real life coffee date podcast to come. You can find Lindsay over at Help Me Grow Speech on the old Instagram. She is also on YouTube. Make sure you check out her awesome videos for some more therapy tips and ideas. That's also titled Help Me Grow Speech. And then her website, helpmegrowspeech.com. Those are all in the notes for you, so they're just a click away. Also in the notes, my website, thanksmorris.com, where you can submit questions, suggestions for topics, 
or nominate yourself or a friend to come on the podcast and we can connect via email. You can also find me over on Instagram at Thanks Morris, where I am just a DM away from uh, connecting with you and setting up a podcast if you so desire. All right, friends, I hope you have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful week. Oh, one more thing. If you're still listening, don't forget, I am uh, currently doing a challenge, a gratitude challenge with the wonderful people over at Snap Habit. You can find more about that at thanksmorris.com too. But it's a wonderful way to practice your gratitude and keep the action going. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that because it did start this week and you can join anytime in the next 10 days. All right, friends. Bye-bye.